Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Good to see you guys. We still have a decent turnout. I don't know if we're going to have it. I figured everybody else is going to be back in America eating Chick-fil-A or gone doing something else, but I'm glad that we have a good turnout. Um, we're in Jonah 1, 17 through 2, 10 today. And the title of this is God is after the mission, but he's also after the missionary. And I think it's real easy for all of us to get called up in the mission God has called us to and the ministry he's called us to and the people groups he's called us to. And that's really encouraging, and that's true. But also at the same time, God is after the missionary. And that, studying this, preparing for this, has given me a lot of hope and a lot of joy to know that God is relentlessly pursuing my heart and wanting me to be changed. So, um, Jonah. My story is a lot like Jonah's. Um, I never, when you, were y'all growing up, were you wanting to be missionaries? Was that on your um, on your radar? Was that something you were planning? Were you wanting to live overseas? I definitely wasn't. Um, I started walking with the Lord in college, and it was my um, my first Christian girlfriend. The boys might not even know this story, um, so I guess it's okay to share, right, Michelle? We'll see. Um, so um, I remember we went out on a date, and she had three things she had to check off on our date. I had no idea how to date a Christian girl. So she's like, one, I, you had to pray before we ate. Thankfully, I did that. Um, two, we ha- uh, she had to find out that I had a quiet time. Thankfully, that happened. And I can't remember, remember what the third one was. But anyway, we had a second date, third date. Um, we were out one night, and there was like a little park with a bunch of lights, and we were just talking, and I never really had a lot of deep Christian conversations, especially with a girl. So we're talking, figuring out just life, dreams. And she's like, one of my dreams. So we're getting deep, right? She's like, I want to be a missionary. What did I think? I'm like, oh my gosh, how boring is that? Right? They come to church, they do their real, back then it was like, it wasn't PowerPoint, it was like those projector things, you know, things like that. And I'm like, who, no, who wants to be a missionary? And um, I, have, I immediately started thinking, how, I, she's really sweet but how can I break up with her? How can I get out of this? Because I would never be a missionary. would never want to live overseas. Nobody in my hometown ever left like 50 mile radius, right? Like, why would you ever go overseas? And then um, less than a year, um, somebody had come back on a mission trip, started sharing their testimony. And my heart, I have something going on in my heart, this warmness, this conviction, this like, huh, Maybe this whole missions deal, maybe going overseas, maybe this God's glory, maybe this isn't all so bad. And so I started thinking and praying about this. And then a few days later, somebody else shared their testimony of going overseas. A few days later, another guy said, you know, everybody in college, I think everybody in college should give a summer to going overseas. I'm like, oh my goodness, who is this guy? He does not look like the Holy Spirit. He does not sound like the Holy Spirit. We should not do that. And that evening, while I was walking out of that building, I still remember it like it was yesterday. God told me, he's like, I'm talking to you. I said, God, you've got to be calling the wrong person. I never in a million years. So I think that's a lot. Maybe um, what was going through Jonah's mind, Jonah's heart, he never really wanted, obviously, to go to Nineveh. So that's where we find him. Um, Matt did a great job last week. Rather than, fall, rather than go to Nineveh, he was willing to take a boat, what did Matt say, for a year? year and a half, possibly in the other direction. So that's where we find Jonah. He's heading in the other direction. He's going down, 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 down from Joppa 
to the ocean, to the boat, to the hold of the boat, and then eventually he's thrown in the water. In the hold of the boat, he was sleeping, so he gets woken up from his nap. I hate to get woken up from my nap, but he gets woken up from his nap, and then they're asking him, what did you do wrong? The next thing we know, he's in the water. So Jonah's having a very terrible, awful, horrible, bad day. Do you remember that book, some of those books, the kids' books? That's where we find him. And um, he left his career as a successful prophet, prophesying that Israel's borders are going to get bigger, they're going to expand. He didn't want to go, but now we find him in the water. So let's keep going. So looking through Jonah, looking at it, we know that in Matthew 12, I'll read this to us, Jesus actually refers to this. 12, 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repeated at the preaching of Jonah, who repented at the preaching of Jonah, behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So I love this. We see the scribes and Pharisees asking for a sign. They're asking to see that Jesus is special, to see that he's different. They're asking for a miracle. And what did Jesus respond with? With his word. He opened up the Old Testament, which they knew, and responded with his word. He could have, he's already performed miracles and signs. He could have done that, but he didn't. He pointed back to his word. And in his word, we see these these foreshadowings of Jesus to come. Both Jesus and Jonah received a mission from God to go preach. Jesus obeyed the Father willingly. We know Jonah didn't. They both went down the shoal for three days. Jonah went down to, um, to the belly of the well, to the depths of the ocean. Jesus went to death. Both were rescued and delivered. Jonah through a physical salvation, Jesus through resurrection. Both preached a message exhorting people to repent in the face of impending judgment. Jonah did the bare minimum and didn't really care about the people he was sharing with. He had no power to save. Jesus preached relentlessly for years and had the power to forgive. Both saw sinners repent. Jonah hated the Ninevites. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jonah wished to escape discomfort. Jesus endured torture, and death for us. So we see there's a lot of similarities between Jesus and Jonah. So Jesus doesn't always give us signs, but he will point us to his word. And his word points to him. So he's pointing back to his word, and his word is pointing us back to Jesus. Jesus pointed back to an actual event, not a story, not an allegory, not something that is just that somebody made up, to an actual event that they knew about. And that was the sign of Jesus. That was a reminder that Jesus was coming. Jesus was the greater prophet, the greater preacher, and the greater savior. Isn't that cool? Just. (laughs) And then we see, now we're getting into our passage. So 117, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So in this book, there's actually only like three verses that are about a fish. But growing up, if you ever asked me at all to summarize Jonah, what would I do? I would draw the little ichthus probably because that's the only fish I can draw. And probably inside the little ichthus, I would put a little man, little stick man. 
So growing up, the only real knowledge, I, the only thing I ever understood about this was this is a miracle, a great story about a fish who swallows a man. I think when I was little, people told me well, because I really want to say well over and over again, but I'm not going to. Big fish. So we see that the Lord appointed this fish. The sailors threw Jonah in the water, but I believe that God put Jonah in the water. God appoints things. Fish, we'll see later on in just a minute. He appointed, he hurled the storm. In chapter one, it said God hurled the storm. So God is actively involved in these things. Uh, there's a spoiler alert coming the next few work, the weeks. He not only, he hurled the storm, he appointed the fish. We know later on there's a plant, a worm, a scorching heat. There are several things that God is very actively involved in what is happening here. And for me, um, sometimes I don't know what to do with cancer, a disease, or illness. But here I see God sovereign over creation. God is sovereign over these storms, over bad things, over evil things. I have a good friend right now that's battling with cancer. He's about my age, maybe a year or two older, and he's just gone through it. 14 months of chemo. He had his last chemo treatment last week. They did a PET scan, and they found it in his hip. It had never been in his hip before. And he was so disappointed. But him and his wife, the whole time, they're like, we have one prayer request, that regardless what happens, we will always say, what the Lord allows is good. So we see God appointing these things and intentionally bringing storms, bringing fish, bringing worms, bringing scorching heats. But I think at times he also, maybe cancer is appointed, not appointed, it's allowed. And that word is stuck out. So appointment or whether or not it's allowed, it's hard to know. But we know that God is good. We know that Romans 8.28 is real. For in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who's been called according to his purpose. Reminds me also of, I think, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The real, revealed things belong to us, but there are secret things that belong to the Lord. Why do these things happen? Because God is pursuing the mission. God was going to get Jonah to Nineveh for the sake of the Ninevites, but God is also, excuse me, great hope, pursuing the missionary. He's pursuing you, the Christian teacher, Christian worker, the NGO worker, whatever we're doing, God is after us with his relentless love and he's allowing things, appointing things to happen for our sake. Isn't that good to know? Like sometimes I get too wrapped up in God using us to plant churches, God using us for the nations, God using, and I forget that God, I'm part of the nations and God is after me. So God is relentlessly pursuing Noah. Or Jonah. So, 2, 1 through 7. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. There's these verbs again. God cast him. Into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters enclosed over me to take my life. The deeps routed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. 
O Lord my God. When my life was fanning away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your, your holy temple. So finally, we've been waiting this for a whole chapter, just a little bit more. Finally, Jonah is praying. So Jonah identified himself as someone who feared God in chapter 1. But when God called him, we didn't really see Jonah respond very well. When the storm came, Jonah didn't pray. He was asleep. When the sailors came and got him, Jonah's like, yeah, I'm kind of probably my fault. Didn't pray, didn't repent, cast him into the sea. The sailors at one point in time were trying to save Jonah. Jonah being the man of God, the man who's supposed to fear God, didn't do anything to help them. So now, finally, we get what we would like to have seen a, couple of, uh, a chapter ago. Finally, Jonah is praying. He prays from, from Shoal. This word belly is interesting. The first time, it's kind of like belly, like get in my belly, like food type of belly. And the second time belly is mentioned, as Jonah's recounting the story in this book, it's um, more of a womb. So I think he's, the second time he's saying, you know, a rebirth is about to happen. There is something going on. There, I'm about to be kind of reborn. So he knows what he's telling the story on the other side of the fish. He's also announcing that God had a plan the whole time. You know, I can't imagine why. I get a little scared in open water swimming. I've done triathlons, and when I get in the water, it is super scary. Because no, when you're in the pool, there's a bottom. You can see the line. You go back and forth, no problem. But he's sinking deeper and deeper. There's no bottom. It's dark. I don't know when exactly the fish grabbed him, but it grabbed him. It's cold. Now he's inside of this fish. And all he's, you know, the willow, uh, the bill, waves and billows are passing over him. He's fanning away. Bars are closing in on him. There's, he's dying. He is scared to death. And it's frightening to me to think about it. He feels like he's rejected by God. He says, you know, God has, he's driven away from God's sight. He feels like he is completely cast away. But it reminds me of Psalm 139. Even in the remotest part of the sea, there I'm with you. So rather than seeing God as casting him away from his sight, I think really God is putting Jonah exactly, exactly where God wants Jonah. And I think at times God is going to put us exactly where he wants us. Maybe today we're in a place like that, that we feel pretty far off, that we feel like we're growing faint, bars are closing in on us, and it's kind of a scary time. Been there? I think we get there a lot of times in the mission field. Dead, um, then we get the good stuff, the turning point. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. So Jonah is looking back to God, calling out to God. And then I love the way God responds. Check this out. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. These like are foreshadowings to me to the New Testament. Ephesians 2.1 but you were dead in what? Our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God made us alive. Romans 5, when we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Romans 5, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 again, while we were enemies, God did what? Reconciled us. So while Jonah is dying, he is not obeying God. He is in the depths of the sea, the roots of the mountain. Seaweed is wrapped around his head, yet God intervenes. I love it. God is after us. He is after the mission and the missionary. Repentance often comes through desperation. I don't know where we are today, but don't waste the hard times. Jonah's going down, down, down. Sometimes we're going down, down, down. And a lot of times, especially in what God has called us to do, we proclaim the gospel, we preach the gospel, we teach the gospel, we study the gospel, yet we don't always feel the gospel. And I think what's happening right here with Jonah, it is hitting him right square in the heart. And he is falling down before God. We're about to see this. So when we're desperate, when we're going through these difficult times, don't waste them. I remember one of the, you know, those, there's these times when we get it, when all of a sudden the gospel comes alive. I remember one time in college, in university, one of the first time I understood that God loved me and cared for me. I was outside of the library, didn't go there very much, so I can remember this story very clearly. And then all of a sudden I was getting in my car and God said, I'm after you. And that's what's happening to Jonah right now. He's like, not just about Jonah prophesying, but he's about Jonah. And we see this more in chapter three and chapter four, that God is having a conversation with Jonah because he loves Jonah. Jonah 1.8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Um, so when I think of idols, we probably all think of what? Maybe money. We're Cambodia. We, we see a lot of statues, a lot of gold, a lot of um, carvings. <clears throat> it's really easy to kind of picture idols. I, my guess is most of us don't struggle with bowing down or putting our hope in these, those vain idols, right? These vain idols here, kind of the terminology used is like empty breath. They're professing to be able to help you. There is a belief that somehow that these idols can help you, but it's empty. It's a deceptive snare like something that's coming to trap us that we believe might be able to help us. But as soon as the difficult times come, we find out what? That these things are actually powerless. And when we pay regard to these vain idols, when we look to them for hope, what we're actually finding is when the hard times come is they can do nothing for us. So we're looking this way and there's just emptiness. But over here on the other side, we're actually forsaking the hope of steadfast love. And I think there is no good English word for um, hesed. But it's like love and kindness and mercy and grace and loyalty and faithfulness all wrapped up in one thing. And it's pretty much the best thing you could ever imagine that is completely selfless that is offered to us. Like we don't even have words for it. And we forsake that because we're chasing after vain idols. So um, we, many of us know Tim Keller passed away, what, three weeks ago. I really love him, really enjoyed his books, enjoyed a lot of his trainings, all the things he's done. But one thing he's done um, is kind of, I think, very helpful. He fleshes out four different idols for us that we have. Um, he's got 
we're just going to st stick in this what we seek column. Comfort, approval, control, and power. So these, he talks about, these are kind of like idols that we deal with. And really, maybe people that have other religions, a lot of us pursue these kind of idols more than anything else. So the first one being comfort. When it's hard, we run to something else that makes us feel comfortable. I like to use the word unplugging. I just want to unplug. Maybe we take a nap. Maybe we, we binge watch a TV show. Maybe we hop on YouTube or Instagram or play sports or what or comfort food. I'm from the South. We have a lot of comfort food. We find comfort in something else other than God. So we're forsaking this steadfast love and running to these vain idols. Comfort is one. Approval is another. Maybe I'm looking for my family to approve of me, my wife, my kids, my organization, my friends. We're looking on Facebook or Instagram to see how many likes we got. Are we finding approval from man? But again, this is an idol we can seek. But when we seek that, a lot of times we're forsaking this steadfast love. Control. We want to have a systematic plan. We want to have a good strategy. We want everything to look clean and pretty and make sense to us. That can be an idol. And that's what we run to. We can control things or control people. But a, a lot of times we run to that when we're stressed. We run to that when we're in these difficult times. And we forsake this steadfast, amazing, perfect love. Power. With that being success, significance. The scores, how are we doing? Influence. Can we influence other people? We run to these things. And these become our idols. And every time we do, we forsake the source of this steadfast love. Take repentance to what we're seeing soon in Jonah's heart. It requires us to recognize our idols. When Jonah's talking about these vain idols, I don't know exactly if he's thinking about the Ninevites, who have other gods. Is he thinking that they're following or paying regard to vain idols? Is he thinking about the guys on the ship? Maybe. These pagan sailors, is he thinking about their vain idols? Is he thinking about his own vain idols? Regardless what it is, we all have idols in our life. And repentance requires us to recognize them and shun them, walk away from them, turn away. Jonah 1.9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah's in the fish. The fish is a means to physical salvation. We also know that God is using this whole process to lead Jonah to a spiritual salvation. And here he's saying, but I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. In contrast to those who are seeking vain idols, he says, I will sacrifice to the one true living God. This is a central verse of Jonah. It's honestly probably one of the central verses of the whole Bible. We're about this because God is about saving people. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's why most of us are here. That's why we're in church. That's why we want to go to the nations. That's why we pick up our Bible. That's why we preach. That's why we worship. Because we believe that salvation is real and that it belongs to our God. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the, the gift of God. Acts 16, 29 through 31. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Love again, Tim Keller passed away a few weeks ago. I got the. I'll also love John Piper. Um, there's a video on YouTube. John Piper sharing his last email exchange with Tim Keller. Tim Keller had written ton, tons of books, started great ministries overseas, tons of countries, um, great urban church planning focus. Pastored a great church in New York. He was a big deal. Last email exchange with John Piper, they're not recounting their successes in ministry. They're not accounting their books. Maybe Boras translated some of their books. I don't know. But they're not recounting these things. What they're talking about, well, Tim Keller, he's about to pass away, is Luke 10, 20. Disciples had just gone out on their, one of their short-term mission trips, had just come back. He says, do not rejoice that these spirits were submitting to you. Do not rejoice in the ministry that you've just done, even though it's great. Rejoice in what? That your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that we are saved. So one of the greatest pastors in this generation on his deathbed, just my name is written in heaven. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So repentance requires us to turn to a savior. When I was little, I still do this because a lot of things I learned when I was little, I still remember because that's the way I learned them. And I still think it's that way. Repentance was the 180 degree turn, right? That's what we've learned. And I've noticed for me, sometimes when I turn from a sin, when I turn from something, I make little moral adjustments. I say, I will never do that again. And I put some rules in my life to not do that. Or I may, I, I become a little bit legalistic. I will not do this again. We will not watch that show again. We will not do this again. And I make moral adjustments to kind of fine tune my life. But what I see here in Jonah, he's turning to the Lord. His heart, his eyes are looking to the holy hill. Here we see him calling out salvation belongs to God. So he's not, he's turning away from his sin, yes, but more than anything, he is turning to a savior. I don't see a great confession. Sometimes in our family, we try and say, I'm sorry for, rather not just a blanket apology. I don't know if y'all do that, but not just like, I'm sorry when there's this whole list of things we did. We try and like apologize for, I'm sorry, kids. I know y'all hate it. But for some specific things. I don't see that. Jonah's not really saying, God, I'm really sorry I didn't obey you the first time. God, I'm really sorry I didn't love the Ninevites. I'm really sorry I didn't help the guys in the boat. Really sorry I didn't. He's just saying, I am undone. I am dying. These bars are closing around me. Salvation belongs to God. 
So repentance requires us to turn to a Savior. Ah, this is our last verse for today. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Come back up. Not a glorious exit. If it was a TV show, we would probably, well, I don't know, I'd maybe want to get grab a knife and carve my way out, you know, something cool, like you jump out of the fish's mouth, um, something better than this. But getting vomited out would not be the way my second commissioning went. There's no, you know, there's no bands, there's no preacher, I don't see an offering, I don't see anybody else going around. There's nothing going on, he just gets vomited out. And he's nasty, right? He's probably got, he's probably still got some seaweed on him, got fish guts on him, he probably stinks. Um, thankfully, there's nobody else around. Um, it's an ugly process as we grow, right? I always envy people who have this awesome testimony that, you know, I was doing this and this and this and this, and then the Lord came and I was completely different forever and ever and ever after that. I'm like, man, that's cool. I'm not. Jonah's not, because we got chapters three and chapters four. It'd be awesome if we just stopped right here. But then we got chapter three and four where Jonah isn't, doesn't live out this new life like he'd like. And I feel like a lot of times for us, it's the same. So our salvation is a God-glorifying mystery and a process. A lot of times we're like the stock market. We're going up and down and up and down. Um, this testimony that I think God is looking for here, a lot of times when we share our testimony, we share when we first came to believe in God. You know, no, no, when Jonah's probably sharing his testimony prior to this, he's talking about, way back earlier on in his prophecy days, you know, when he was a success, successful prophet, he's leaning back on his earlier years, but he's not continuing to really hear from the Lord and walk with the Lord. And for us, I think it's real easy for us to lean back into our earlier years in ministry when we were first called, when we first repented, our call to missions, when we first got to the field. But it's easy to get wrapped up in ministry and not wrapped up and walking with the Lord. So this, at this point in time, God's appointed time for Jonah to be in the fish is finished. But I don't, but obviously we see in the rest of the book that God is not finished with what he's wanting to do in Jonah. So for us, the goal is not just to get to the mission field. The goal is not just to have a successful ministry. The goal is to keep having a testimony of what God is doing in our hearts. Do we still have that? Are we still excited? Are we still singing? Are we still worshiping? Because that's why we came. That's why we left. That's why we're teaching. That's why we're teaching our kids. That's why we're in church today. But it's so easy to get called up in our idols, whether it be comfort or approval or control or power. And I think we lean into these vain, empty idols, these empty breath. And we forget that salvation belongs to our God. We forget that he's continually after our hearts. Just a second, we're going to have the worship team come back up. And I want these questions just, y'all can go ahead and come back up if y'all want to. 
Um, just take home. You can take a picture of this. You can talk about it over dinner. You can talk about it with your wife, with your kids. But um, so what is God using in your life to cause you to pursue him? And are we pursuing? Are there some things going on that God might want to use and we're not letting him? Number two, what are the root idols that need to be dealt with? And is it comfort? Is it approval? Is it power? Is it control? Are there some root idols in our life that are really causing us to forsake the steadfast love? Where's your testimony today? Are we leaning in? Or are we coasting from what happened two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Or is there a vibrant walk with the Lord today? We'll see later on in Jonah that Jonah continues to walk with the Lord. He continues to do some good things, do some not good things, have some attitude adjustment, but he continues to have this intimate relationship with the Lord and the Lord is causing Jonah to keep turning back to him. And then the last one is, are we rejoicing in a savior? Are we rejoicing in salvation? Are we focusing too much on life or ministry? Because ultimately, I think we'll be the same as Tim Keller. In our last days, we won't be consumed with the numbers or the ministry or anything else. We will be consumed with the fact that we know that our names are written in heaven. Lord Jesus, help us to rejoice in you. Help us to look to your holy hill, to your holy temple. Help us to see Jesus high and lifted up. And we pray, God, that as we do, Lord, we would just get lost, that we would be wrecked, that we would be undone, and we would just sing to you, think upon your holiness, to think upon your beauty, and that we would cry out, salvation belongs to God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.